The pulpit is just right. <laughs> Thanks, you know. Uh, good morning, everybody. It's great to, to, to be here this morning. I, I hope that you are excited. I know the, the dads last night uh, got to spend time with their daughters on a special date. Amen. That was encouraging uh, just to take our daughters to a dinner, to a dance. And uh, I think for me, the most memorable part of the evening was just right, they, the, the sisters who, uh, uh, Christine Mioke and Luce and Karen, they, they came up with a way to uh, us to just to kind of connect with them. And we got to write what we love about our daughters on a card. And they, and they did the same for dads. And we got to give it to them that evening, a little card exchange. And then we took a little prayer and we wrote a prayer together and we put it to a balloon and we all went outside. Uh, and, and we let the balloons grow as a prayer to God that evening. It was really, really great. And all the clusters of balloons were all together the whole time up into the atmosphere. And it was just an incredible moment. And my, my daughter didn't want it to end. She was so excited. It was such a, a great, great time for us. So very excited. So thanks again, sisters and moms who were uh, behind the scenes putting that on. It was fantastic evening. All the dads say, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So grateful. Uh, tonight, uh, or this, this morning, we please be praying for Steve Burns. He fell ill. Uh, also with Lynn Hoyt, she fell ill. And uh, so um, just keep him on your hearts. Uh, Steve was not feeling well last night, but he pushed through uh, to encourage his daughter. And I appreciated that. And I'm sure his daughter did too. So we're going to start our second series, our second two-part series. Or it's actually a three-lesson series, but it's our second component to it uh, on stewardship. You know, you ever hear someone say, people say, I want this or I want that but not act on it, that person is usually me. I don't know about you, but it's usually me. Like, I want to do this, I'm going to do this, and then I don't do anything about it. I just don't act on it. You know, the title of this morning's lesson is, Put Your Money Where Your Mouth Is. You know, we live in a society today where feelings are now considered convictions. You know, Joseph in the Bible was a young man who was not perfect, which is not the focus of today. The focus is on developing a pattern of life. In Joseph, he had dreams. And he told his family these dreams. And then his brothers sold him into slavery because of those dreams. You know when you fight with your siblings, it can get ugly. I know I grew up with three brothers. And it got mighty ugly on the basketball courts. When I was up going for a dunk one time, my brother just knew just enough, just to foul me enough, just so I wouldn't dunk it. Even though I had the breakaway, I was all myself, I was ready. And mind you, these aren't 10-foot rims, mind you. <laughs> these are seven and a half is my range. We would play basketball on seven and a half foot rims so we can feel like the NBA, and we'd be dunking all the time. We call it dunk ball. And I would go for a monster dunk, and I was ready to reverse it. He'd nudge me just enough where I'd miss it, uh, so I wouldn't get the glory, so to speak. And I was so angry. And I wanted to sell him into slavery. <laughs> so mad. So mad at him. Now he's a, he's a professional MMA fighter, so I have to withhold my, my, my attempts to sell him into slavery. It will not work. <laughs> Point number one. It's not easy to put your money where your mouth is. Turn with me into Genesis chapter 39. We're going to take a look, a study, into the life of Joseph, the son of Isaac, and his life. I want to take a look at Joseph. And Joseph, you know, had, had been sold into slavery and was imprisoned. 
and then he, uh, I'm sorry, was sold into slavery, then he, was, then he was bought by one of the Egyptian captains who took him into his home, and uh, he did well there. In verse 1 of 39, Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of the Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, brought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he prospered, and he lived in the house of, the, of his Egyptian master. When his master saw the Lord was with him, and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did. You know, Joseph had suffered being sold into slavery. You know, being torn apart, being torn away from his dad, uh, his brothers. But now he's doing well. You know, many of us, we've suffered through the tough economy for the last several years. And guess what? We'll probably have to do it again in our lifetime. You know, economies are cyclical in nature. They go up and down, up and down, up and down. So we're probably going to face another one in our lifetime. In verse 4, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar had put him in charge of his household and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household and all of that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So he left in Joseph's care everything he had. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Now Joseph was well built and handsome. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, Come to bed with me. But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in the house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you. Because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her and even, or even be with her. One day he went into the house to attend his duties, and none of the household servants were inside. She caught him by the cloak and said, Come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran outside the house. When she saw that he had left her cloak in her hand and ran outside the house, she called her household servants. Look, she said to them, this Hebrew has been brought to us to make sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed. When he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak behind and ran outside of the house. You know, finally, he's doing good. He's found, uh, despite being sold into slavery, God has blessed me. He has this great situation. He's working for the captain of the guard. God is blessing him. Things are going fantastic. And then there's another crossroad. You know, you know, it's a question of, do I keep enjoying the good life and treat myself? Here's his wife. We can keep this under wraps. Mom's the word. Or do I go with God? And in verse 13, I mean, I'm sorry, verse 16, we see that he goes with God. She kept his cloak beside her until her master came home. Then she told him the story. That Hebrew slave you brought us came to me to make sport of me. But as soon as I screamed for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran outside of the house. When his master heard the story that his wife told him, this is how your, your slave treated me, he burned with anger. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. 
You know, there are consequences for every decision we make. And Joseph suffered a consequence for choosing the right thing to do. And he suffered. See, suffering isn't always when you choose make a poor decision. Right. Suffering often comes to you when you make the right decision. You know, the Bible in 1 Peter says, what good is it when you, when you, when you get beaten for something, you, you, know, you, you did something bad and you, got, you deserve it. But it is more honorable to be, to be suffering for doing the right thing. Right. To put God first as a pattern. There are some things we cannot do. Number one, we cannot do a little sub point. I can't use the parents I'm around at school or at work or in the neighborhood as my standard. I can't use them as the bar. Because my life, my pattern of life is different from theirs. Another point we do is we can't get drunk with my neighbors. Right? That's going on all the time in the neighborhoods. Everyone's going having a party. Everyone's living it up. I can't do that. Another thing I can't do is I can't, you know, I'm raising kids and, you know, I can't become a pro sports expert. That's my temptation in my flesh. See, your kids, he can shoot a little basketball. Oh, he's pretty good. What if, what if I, what if, yeah, but then that has consequences. A lot of consequences on my time, my energy. What am I trying to develop? What am I trying to raise? Even beyond this. What do you mean? I mean, do you mean what you say? You know, a lot of times I, I think I mean what I say, but I'm not always sure sometimes. You know, I hear, in our church I hear this, I want my kids to become Christians. Well, how are your family devos going? I want my kids to become Christians. Well, how's your personal Bible study and, and your personal ministry as a disciple going? Remember, it's what you want. We want our kids to raise up and have the faith that we have. But how are these things going? What are you doing in your home? The church will not raise your kids to become Christians. That will never happen. That is not our philosophy. We reject that philosophy. We'll be a support system. We'll help. We'll have family, you know, Friday night fun times. But they'll become Christians by your faith. Is God, enough, is God number one in your life? You know, does your bank account show that pattern? Do you honor God or do you give Him spare change? You've got to examine your life in this respect. Where, where you see the sacrifice. You see what really matters to you. You know, I hear at times, you know, people, you know, giving um, at times $10 a week, 100 bucks a month except in special circumstances. That is not sacrifice. That is selfish. You know, really, we have to check our hearts in that area. Our life depends on it. We are stewards. As Dean said last week, in God's economy, that's where God wants us to be. But we, sometimes we can build up man's economy and find ourselves outside of the garden and struggling. It's difficult at times, and I understand that. I understand sacrifice. I understand uh, monetary giving. I understand that. 
You know, but I want to set a precedence for my I want to let God know one thing, that he's first. So I'm going to put my money where my mouth is. Sometimes, that's a challenge because you may not be at that point right here. You might be going, well, hi. Get some input. Get some advice. Stop, stop swinging your hands in the air aimlessly like a wild man. Hey, have a purpose behind it. Hey, how can I get some help? What can I do? Point number two, it takes time to put your money where your mouth is. Look in verse 21. The Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those he held in prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. Some time later, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt offended their master, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was angry with the two officials, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, and put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, in the same prison where Joseph was confined. You know, they had dreams, these two, the cup baker or the, ba- or the cup bearer and the baker. And Joseph interpreted their dreams, and it came uh, true three days later. And all Joseph told them was this in verse uh, 23. I'm sorry, in verse uh, 23. All Joseph told him was to remember him in verse 23 or 40. It says here, The chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. When the two full years had passed, Pharaoh had a dream. He was standing by the Nile. When out of the river there came up seven cows, sleek and fat, and they grazed among the reeds. Then the seven other cows, ugly and gaunt, came up out of the Nile and stood beside those on the riverbank. And the cows that were ugly and gaunt ate up the seven sleek, fat cows. Then Pharaoh woke up. You know, all he was asking was just to remember me. And we see that that did not happen. It didn't happen. You know, in verse... 16, or 14 and 16, if you looked at me there, but when all goes well with you, remember me and show me kindness. Mention me to the Pharaoh and get me out of this prison. For I was forcibly carried off from my land of the Hebrews. Even here I have done nothing to deserve being put in dungeon. And when the chief baker saw that Joseph had been given a favorable interpretation, he said to Joseph, I too had a dream and so forth. You know, he could have said... When you get out of here, hey, can you get me a palace? Can you get me some gold? And I'll give you the greatest interpretation you've ever heard. And that could have been the temptation. But he didn't. How do you keep your head in this situation? How did he keep his head, his focus? As we see in the scriptures, he was staying close to God. Mm -hmm. God was with him. You know, there's something to be said about regular time in the Bible and prayer being connected to how close you are with God. There is a direct connection to that. But it comes down to what do you value? If you value being close to God, then regular time in the Word and in prayer. 
And if you're struggling with that, don't just sit there and go, well, I, how do I figure that out? You know, with humility, everyone can find God. Hey, brother, I'm not sure how to have a quiet time. I, it, keep, it keeps getting referred to at church. But, I, you know, I just, I'm, I'm not, I don't think I'm having great quiet times. Can you help me? That simple. It's regular. It's awesome. It helps us to keep a pattern of doing things God's way. You know, one way to keep yourself safe is by making the right decisions, right? You know, fleeing from evil. You know, when I was a young Christian, I had a, I had a Potiphar situation where I got myself involved with a, with a woman. And I chose immorality. I chose not the route of Joseph. I chose to please my nature. I chose to be immoral once I made a commitment to Jesus. One of the most terrible decisions of my Christian life. Horrifying. Damaging. It was the most darkest hour. If I were to go back, I'd tell you that my quiet times were probably non-existent. My time with God were non-existent. When it came to the moment of having conviction, failed. But I learned a lesson. I decided I'm going to pursue God. And lo and behold, another situation came. I was, I was reaching out at a, at a campus event with non-Christians and one, one of the girls there was, hey, what are you doing later on tonight? Running. Getting open about that. Fleeing. I, I decided to become one of the most unromantic brothers in the church. <laughs> to protect myself. Honestly. Because my nature is, hey, it's good. how's it going? And so, I, I, was, I was very weary of my potential. So being close to God gave me a conviction. I, I'm going to flee in any circumstances. Amen. You know, when I was dating Karen... And I never walked Karen to her door. She, she'd be like, what's this problem? <laughs> but I couldn't tell, like, well, yeah, well, you know, hey, if you don't, you know, I was like, I couldn't explain it until the proper setting. On, so I just would drop her off, literally on the curb, Psh, get out, open her car door, hey, give you a hug, <laughs> hey, see you later. You know, and I still have to work on my, on my romance. I'm not, you know, I think that's probably been, a, you know, now that I'm married, you think it, it would go, oh, it would go up. It would and crashing down even further at times. So what I've done with my last few years with Karen, I, I just take her on, a, on a, just a, a little date every week. They're not super big things. They're just a breakfast, a couple hours together, running, you know, doing something together, praying together, walking together. You know, it's been such a, a great time of developing, making the right decisions in our marriage. And putting our relationship first. You know, Pharaoh had told the dream to Joseph. And Joseph interpreted this dream. And Joseph even threw in the proper way to plan for this dream to avoid catastrophe. You know, Joseph gave the Pharaoh not only the interpretation of this dream. He gave him a plan to get out of the situation. And if you're in a situation like the Pharaoh where you're in a famine, you are just, hey, there is just no hope right now. What do we do? Sometimes, in this situation, it took someone else to give him a plan. And you know what? Pharaoh was very humble. Pharaoh goes, we're going to take that plan. 
We're going to put that plan into action. And he did. And he stored up seven years of grain for the good years. And then they had enough for the seven years of famine. So much all the neighboring nations were coming in to get food, to get grain. And then Joseph's father sent his brothers to get the grain, if you don't know the story. You know, Pharaoh made Joseph the, most, the second most powerful man in Egypt, like a prime minister. He got a wife and had two sons. And just so you know the heart of God, these were Egyptian, half Egyptian children. He married one of the, uh, the daughters of the priest of the local religious body of the Egyptians. The heart of God, all nations, right? We make disciples of all nations. Point number three. It pays to put your money where your mouth is. You know, that's seven years of plenty. It came and went. And we enjoyed a great economy for a while. And now we're in the famine. We saw our homes drop in price by hundreds of thousands of dollars. And overnight, we went from sitting on a 150K to negative 150K. Just like that. That's the economy. That's man's economy. In Genesis 42, let's turn there. Let's read together. Joseph's brothers come to Egypt. Are you with me there, church? When Jacob learned that there was grain in Egypt, he said to his sons, why do you just keep looking at each other? You have to read the scripture with some kind of humor in mind. You're going, hmm. He continued, I have heard that there is grain in Egypt. Go down there and buy some for us so that we may li live and not die. Then 10 of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain from Egypt. But Jacob did not send Benjamin, Joseph's brother, with the others because he was afraid that, that harm might come to him. So Israel's sons were among those who went to buy grain for the famine was in the land of, of Canaan also. Now Joseph was the governor of the land, the one who sold grain to all the people. So when Joseph's brothers arrived, they bowed down to him with their faces to the ground. As soon as Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them, but pretended to be a stranger and spoke harshly to them. Where do you come from? He asked. You know, his family comes to him and he put them through a, through a few hoops, so to speak. And then he reveals himself later on. And finally, he was able to bring his entire family to Egypt. His entire family, his father and his younger brother, who we've never saw, was going to come. Look at me in chapter 46, as we'll read the next part of this story. And I encourage you to go back in your week and just really get, get the full story by reading it yourself and getting a, even more nuggets that God will put on your heart. In verse 5 of chapter 46, Then Jacob left Beersheba, and Israel's sons took their father Jacob and their children and their wives in the carts that Pharaoh had sent trans to, uh, to transport them. They also took with them their livestock and the possessions they had acquired in Canaan. And Jacob and all of his offspring went to Egypt. He took with him to Egypt his sons and grandsons, his daughters and his granddaughters, all of his offspring. Verse 29. Joseph had his chariot made ready and went to Goshen to meet his father Israel. As Joseph, uh, as soon as Joseph appeared before him, he threw his arms around his father 
and wept for a long time. Israel said to Joseph, Now I am ready to die, since I have seen for myself that you are still alive. You know, Joseph saved his family. You know, in many ways, I want to save my family. I got to make the right choices. I know all of you. You want to save your families. We desperately want to save our children. It starts by making the right decisions. And it's okay. You should be happy that there is suffering when you make the right decisions. Consider, consider it pure joy, the Bible says. Right. There's joy in doing the right thing. There's pain in doing the right thing. You know, one of the principles we have in our family is that our children are a part of my marriage. My marriage is not a part of their life. Does that make sense? I'm including them in my my family unit. The temptation is just to make them happy. Do what they want. Mm -hmm. And I believe what really truly makes them happy is that by me including them into my family with God. Mm -hmm. Being close to my wife Karen. Because the best gift we can give our children is a fantastic marriage. Right. It is one of the best gifts we can ever give our kids. Mm -hmm. You know, God always has a plan. Joseph just had to embrace God's dream. I'm not sure if he was feeling that while he was in prison or when he was being sold into slavery or when Potiphar's wife lied about the situation or when the baker and the cupbearer forgot about him. Sometimes the temptation is, God, are you hearing me? God, I'm trying to do the right thing here, God. And a lot of times we want God to respond in our time frame. You know, 15 to 17 years had passed. Right. And we said, God, why aren't you answering my prayer? You're not with me. You always have I've walked away from me. And then we lose our faith in the process. We said, you know what? Maybe man's economy is better. Because God's economy is a little bit difficult. You know, Joseph didn't chase the Egyptian dream. That doesn't mean he wasn't tempted. He wasn't drawn in, in, in it for a little while. Doesn't mean that. He wasn't perfect. What it does mean is the over, overall pattern of his life was doing things God's way. He lived the dream we all have to have or we all want to have. And that's to save our family. Notice how it came about though. He focused on God right. and made his decisions based on what God would want. How can I do a wicked thing and sin against God when pleasure was right there at the door? He made it a lifestyle. This is how we can save ourselves and our hearers. Our life and our doctrine will save you and your hearers. Let's not chase the American dream, Amen. man's economy. Let's chase God's dream. Yep. And let's put our money where our mouth is. To God be the glory. Thank you very much.